0: Dr. Dale on quail, bringing you the latest news and views about all things quail in Texas. Brought to you by the Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation, preserving the wild quail hunting heritage of Texas for this and future generations. Major support for this podcast comes from Gordian Sons Outfitters. Well hello everyone and welcome to this month's episode of Dr. Dale on Quail. I'm Gary Joyner with the Texas Farm Bureau. Many of us had the pleasure of knowing our local game warden while growing up or maybe later as we enjoyed the great outdoors. They are mentors and oftentimes the spark that ignites a passion for wildlife that will last a lifetime. We're honored today to spend time with two retired Texas game wardens who have some 60 years of combined law enforcement experience. Great stories, great memories. Let's go to Dr. Dale now for today's special conversation. Well, thank you, Gary. And
1: as always, it's a pleasure to work with you and your staff there at Texas Farm Bureau. And we appreciate not only your efforts there, but also Jonathan Bale's efforts, uh, who helps edit the podcast, and my colleague Jeffrey Sorrell for many years here in San Angelo, who puts the, uh, kind of the eyes, if you will, and, and puts the podcast in shape to post it to where our listeners can enjoy it. And just a couple of comments. Uh, we're, this will be airing about May 20th. If you read the May issue of the Equal newsletter, you know that we uh, were off to a good nesting start. A record nesting start over the last 15 years anyway. Had like 21 nests recorded in the month of April. So all we need now are some good rains, uh, which we have not got at this point. But hopefully we will during the month of May. And hopefully we'll have those chicks some good bugs to eat and begin to see a rebound from where we've been. Uh, Coming up between now and the next podcast, we'll keep in mind that Father's Day coming around and, for all of us who don't have a father anymore uh take it from us and spend some time with your father hug his neck uh, odds are he was the one that got you started in quail hunting and so uh, be sure and recognize that and pat him on the back and tell him you love him and with that Gary uh, we're going to move on to uh, children's today where our colleague Dana Wright is uh with our special guest and she's going to lead the uh, interview from here so dana with that i'm turning it
2: over to you thank you dale uh today i have uh gary self and uh jack burris with me and both of them are retired state game wardens for texas that they work for texas parks and wildlife and between them we have about 60 years of law enforcement here in the texas panhandle um childress and hall county um, most of their careers so anyway i thought they'd bring some interesting perspective over what they've seen as far as changes in uh quail hunting and quail in these uh counties up here
1: okay we look forward to visiting with you guys this morning I know Gary a little bit through his son's involvement in the Bob white and buckskin brigades, but I don't know if I've ever met Jack. So again, we uh, thank both of you guys for coming on and might ask that you start off with kind of your elevator speech and your
2: biography. So
3: Jack, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, I started work in 1961, uh, I lived in Canyon and I was working at uh, Buffalo Lake National Wildlife Refuge, and uh, I got the letter, and I had to go to Austin uh, November the 14th, and then from there, they sent me to San Angelo. I didn't even know where San Angelo was, and then San Angelo sent me to Matador. I stayed at the Matador Ranch uh, bunkhouse during the deer season, and uh, there they sent me to Dalhart, worked Calvin Tau and uh, for pheasant hunt, and then they sent me to Oh, to uh, Morton, and I worked quail season there. Then they sent me to, it uh, kind of a pick-up-and-go anyway. I worked with a biologist at Lake Stamford. We net fish and putting them in Rita Blanca and, and uh, McK- uh, uh, McClellan and some old ranch at those uh, lakes like that. But uh, then I went to school at a uh, and the last part of uh, middle january i think it was and then when they got out in uh, the last day was uh, may 31st 1962 and uh, they sent me to children's and that's where i've been ever since i i retired in 1993 and uh, uh i moved to children's with the idea that i wasn't going to stay i was gonna i was gonna do my two years and then i was gonna find me a good place to go and I've been looking and I haven't found a better place yet so that we're still here. These three kids and three girls and um, uh, they've all got their kids a lot of them here and uh, they're still here and uh, we, we, we enjoy children's and, uh, and we're gonna stay I guess because it's too late to move now. <laughs>
2: right. Gary tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up being a game warden
4: okay well I, I was born in muleshoe uh, down in bailey county uh, grew up on a cotton cow wheat farm west of Freona. Uh, graduated from Freona high school in 1976. as um, soon as faith got out of school we got married and i went to work after that uh, i guess the first time i i didn't get on the first time i applied i, I was i would have been 20 years old you too second time we do uh I would have been 21 by the time the the academy graduated but I the the department had started some uh, uh different hiring practices and uh, I missed out on that first time around uh next next time the openings came up I, I kind of had my feelers hurt and I didn't put in for that one uh, and then the uh, 1983. Chuck Cosper and J.D. Gould came over to see me and talked me into putting in for it again, and, and uh, I did and, and got on that time. Uh, our academy started in uh, February of 1984.
2: Jack, uh, did you go to the academy, the Game Warden Academy? How long did it last? Where And where was it at?
3: Yes, I went to uh, A&M uh And it lasted from uh, about the fifteenth of January to May the thirty-first, and uh, it was a. Uh, to- it was just like college. We had we had a lot of uh, we had classes from uh, college professors, and, and in the course of the, it wasn't the Parks and Wildlife there then. It was the Game and Fish Commission, and we had some game wardens then that taught us to But I had one professor that he said he hated Aggies and, and uh, but he kept teaching and he said his idea of roughing it was drinking a coke without a straw <laughs> and you, you can imagine what kind of a, what a, what kind of a guy he was a good old boy but he was it was different and uh, i was supposed to start the they first signed me to shamrock and uh that was about two three weeks before the end of the, end of the uh, school and then they came back just Right in the school said no, you're going to Childress, and I thought, well, okay, here we go. I don't know what we got there, and I, and we I got here, and there was a commissioner here, a game commissioner, and a senator and a representative, and I thought, yeah, they put me right in the middle of a political deal, but it wasn't. It, it worked out really well, and uh, we've enjoyed Childress, and uh, and uh, all three of my girls live here now, and I've got. Thirteen great grandkids, and and ten of them live here, so we're in good shape. What made
2: you want to be a gang warden? Did you enjoy hunting,
3: fishing, or what? What made you? Well, to- started, I was raised on a farm north of Dawn, Texas, and that's between Herford and Canyon, about two miles north of Dawn. And my dad hunted geese, ducks, and geese, and that's the first thing I ever hunted was ducks and geese. Then we'd go to Buffalo Lake, which is about six miles from us, and we. We'd spend the night in the back of an old truck and we'd fish. And uh, we had a friend, game warden friend named Woody Pons. That's a, that's a good name for a game warden anyway. But he was he was uh, instrumental in getting me going and, and, and getting me. Uh, and I worked at Buffalo Lake, and I worked with some game wardens, and uh, they would check license, and i check permits. And I decided I'd, that's what I wanted to do. And I put in, I'm kind of like Gary, I put in the first time I didn't get Get noticed i mean i guess i don't know what happened but they didn't we didn't go to work and then the second time i put in well they uh called me up and said let's go so here we are
2: gary you uh what made you decide to become a game warden
4: well i i always kind of had a interest in law enforcement but uh, the urban type city police type work didn't really appeal to me and I, matter of fact, I I had considered the Border Patrol. Uh, at that time, they weren't even making as much as game wardens. Uh, yes. I figure that's different now. But yeah. uh, so I just I just kind of picked my background with uh, with ranchers and farmers. It just seemed to be the best fit for me. Um, tell us about your first vehicle
2: you had in a game wardens
3: well my first vehicle was uh, they sent me to the children's and i didn't have a vehicle i had to hear about two or three weeks without a car and then well and prom come by and said we're going to san angelo to get your car and i thought well i was going to get a new one but i ended up getting a used uh 62 ford six cylinder no radio just barely had a heater and uh, it it, was, it didn't have enough power to you couldn't pull anything out of, a, out of a ditch you had if you wanted to but anyway it lasted about a year until the motor on it messed up and blew up. And then the I can't remember, see me like as a 64 Plymouth Belvedere or something after that that I got, that was a good little car. But anyway, that's what I have in the first car. I had to put my own music playing radio in there and didn't have air conditioner to roll the windows down. But uh, it, it was it was all right. It, did, did, got,
2: it have, got, did it have four wheel drive? No.
3: No, we. I don't. You know, I can't remember when we had four wheel drive. I think it was uh, in the early '80s or somewhere along there. Was the first four wheel drive we ever had. And it was a. a uh, no, it was an '80 '80 Chevrolet Blazer. Was the first one I had. It's an '80. It's an '80 Chevrolet Blazer. Uh, that, that's the first one we had. The first four wheel drive I had. We just go as far as we can go in those old cars and turn around and come back out if we can get out. That's what we do. And same thing with four wheel drive. I would go as far as four wheel drive would go, and then uh, put it in four wheel drive, and then turn around and get out. But anyway, you know, uh, I worked thirty-two years, and and I don't think I'd, uh, there's ever been uh, there was ever another uh, occupation that I would have loved and, and enjoyed as much as I did the game board. There was things that you didn't uh, didn't like to do, you know. But uh, there's always that such time. Uh, but as a whole. Every day was a, a new adventure, you know. I mean, you get up and, and it was two counties. I'd get up and think, well, where am I going today? And here I I may end up not even thinking where I was going, but end up in a different place. But it was a, it was enjoyable and and it was a good a good life for my wife and my girls. How about you,
2: what was your Gary?
4: What was your first uh, vehicle? Well, I of course back then when you when you got out of the academy, nobody got a new vehicle. Well. Maybe one or two of the favorites did, but most of us didn't. Uh, mine was a little four-door Dodge Diplomat, uh, which that thing would run a hole in the wind out on the highway. But my first duty station was over in the uh, west of Lubbock, out in the oil field, and I couldn't keep mufflers on it. Those old rough oil field roads just just shook that thing to pieces. But you get out on the highway, I could pretty much catch anybody I wanted to.
2: What do you think was uh the most challenging part of your jobs
4: well you know i i don't know i didn't
3: uh, i I enjoyed all of it i didn't work at night at night too much when i first moved to children's so the, the the boys around here accused me of not having headlights on my car but we didn't have a lot of deer and and when i worked for deer or turkeys i'd uh i'd go out of county a lot of times. but uh uh I don't know exactly what the the worst, the the best, the worst challenge, I guess, was trying to get to hunters whenever they were back in the country there and you're trying to get to them. Most times you
4: just had to get out and walk to them. Well, I guess my answer would pretty much be the same thing. It was, uh, when I started, you couldn't, we didn't really have the equipment that, that, uh, nothing like they have now, but uh, to make the job a little easier, it was, Uh, two-wheel drive vehicles and and uh, radios that would work sometimes and sometimes they wouldn't
2: um jack tell us a little bit about some of the quail regulations that you saw changes that over your career
3: well uh back back when i was in in the middle of the 80s and and through there the the landowners and, and the locals they weren't happy with the, the long seasons they wanted the december first first january 31st that was before they started charging for hunting and stuff you know but that uh that regulation i think uh probably was one of the biggest when they started to open up the long season you know for hunter i think they said for hunter opportunity or something like it you know i don't know but uh uh the quail season uh, during this, when I when I came children's in in 62 uh, until I retired in 93, and even after 93, we never thought about quail too much. I mean, they were they were there, and, and uh, the bird dog hunters, uh, had a lot of bird dog hunters, and they would hunt a covey and maybe a single or two, and then they'd go on, you know, because they're working their dogs and things. But uh, uh, then they got the hunter opportunity and got too many, i now this is my idea and it's not may not be anything to it but i think there's there's too much pressure put on to them but you know uh there's a whole lot of a whole a whole combination of things A hunter pressure uh farming uh and and, uh, and you know in in the farming practices and and weather and uh, i think what it caused a lot of it to uh, uh, go down like we have and i will come back and i don't know where i'll ever see her or not but i hope so
2: (laughs) what gary what have you noticed as far as changes in uh types of hunters that we have in childress and hall county um i noticed it seems like we got a lot more deer hunters than quail hunters nowadays but
4: well uh, i think that's probably right but uh, and you driving driving through uh town after deer season's over um there's rigs and dog boxes from all over the south main, mainly the southeast united states we we got bird hunters coming in from alabama and the carolinas and georgia and even virginia uh, uh, there you know there's still a lot of local bird hunters but the, the bigger majority are the ones coming in from out of state um,
2: what kind of what was the most common violation you saw with quail hunters they kill too many birds or hunting out of
4: season you know i i never (laughs) did i don't remember ever making a bag limit case uh road hunters were pretty bad Um, and especially up here on the trailway they get in on that trailway and of course it's it's good wide open driving with brush on both sides and they turn the dogs loose just drive up and down that trailway Uh, and then trespass uh, that was that was always a, a, there's one or two around here that grew up here and were raised here and okay. thought they had the right to hunt in, anywhere they wanted to. And yeah. you know, I begged to differ on them a time or two. Any quail traps?
2: Uh,
3: yes, I had a, a, I had a place out here and I had a, a box called full of quail traps, so I never did file on very many. I, I, I followed on one guy and I knew, and he was a bird hunter. And, and, and I asked him why he said he's trying to get him for his mother. I said, golly, without, without any shots, you know. I, fouled, I got another guy that uh, had a big old trap out here and I, and I found the trap, fresh quail in it, or fresh quail heads. And uh, I went back early the next morning, to sit there and wait on him. Well, he showed up whenever he did he said it belonged to another guy here in town <laughs> <laughs> and and i and i was looking at the trap missing whenever he came up so i didn't follow him but i took his trap i couldn't even get it in the trunk of my car so The trap was right. big yeah and uh but with that, that the, the quail uh, mine one was just like gary the worst violation was uh, with the snow we had road owners uh, you know driving the roads and, and pot shooting them on the, on the another thing was before they took the railroad out of that railways over there they had a guy here in town that had an old pickup but he just put that old pickup on that railroad put it in compound they'd crawl up in the back turn their dogs loose and they'd, they'd hunt beer, turkeys you know on <laughs> and, and the people uh, the people didn't like it the landowners didn't like it and i got contact the railroad and i come find out that the supervisor was going with them, so there wasn't going to be anything done. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, Dana, let me comment on the on the quail trapping real quick. Okay. Um, and a shout out to one of my former grad students, Bobby Bunton. Bobby was working on his master's thesis out in Pecos County, out southwest of Fort Stockton. And after a couple of months, uh, and he was kind of a local favorite there with the landowners and doing a good job. And... One of the landowners said we want you to come give a, a talk to our lions club out here about what your project involves it was blue quail and radio telemetry so we had trapped blue quail put radio colors on and so bobby gets up begins to say what his project's all about and he says then we trapped the quail And he said in order to trap the quail so we have these cage traps that we bait with milo and so forth and somebody in the back raised their hand he said yes sir he said we don't need to know about quail trapping we know about that just go on with your presentation
2: (laughs) (laughs) i have a feeling that's pretty common
1: (laughs) or was i don't know if it is anymore but it was
4: was. uh, i don't know how how common it is! I didn't run across a whole lot of it. Uh, I had an old
3: man and I saw him during dove season. I was sitting watching the road doves and uh, and I saw him go by and I knew him. He lived out there in the country and, had, and his trunk lid was up and he had a quail trap in the back of it. So I just waited and I followed him back over to an old barn and and uh, I waited a little while and I, I drove up there and he was, it was one of those kind that's trenched under it and uh, he was digging a trench. And I, 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 I'm not going to say what his name was, but anyway, he said, "I said, Mr. So and So, I said, uh, what are you doing?" Boy, and he jumped around there, and and, and uh, well, I caught him off guard. He said, "I'm I'm I'm setting a rat trap." <laughs> I said, what's all them quail feathers doing?" And he said, "Well, let this get in there." I said, "Well, I'm going to take you take your, your rat trap, And I said, "Just don't put any out anymore." He said, "Okay." <laughs>
4: You know, I, I set up on one out west of Estillain in a shelter belt for, I don't know, two or three days. The, the way that law was written, you nearly had to catch them taking birds out of that trap to file a case on them. But um, I set up on it, like I say, two or three days and, and uh, got tired of it. And uh, I just went out there and stomped the trap flat and, and put my business card on it. <laughs> that, that was your old trip. Yeah. yeah yeah and i never nobody ever called up to claim it i don't know
2: and <laughs> uh, what was the jack when you started what was the restitution on having too many quail in the bag limit
3: there, there wasn't a restitution law then as far as i know it's just a, a 25 uh, minimum fine and you could uh but you file on for every for each bird you know but uh, i don't think the restitution came until Sometimes, yeah, yeah.
2: Okay. yeah. So, what was it in the
4: nineties? I, you know, I I don't even remember. I think it was like seven or eight dollars a bird. Uh, okay. and uh, and really, that you know, you come there collecting that on on the uh, hunting hunting quail out of season, which uh, dove season was a bad time for that when they had a, a one week overlap yeah, yeah. while well, there's hunting dove and. And some of them just couldn't pass up on the one oil and
3: oil. One of the guys I filed on for, for trapping and oil, the, the city cop and um, uh, chief police here, old uh, Tuffy Maddox and his buddies told me one day, he said, we found a couple of traps out here South of town. I said, okay, I'll start watching them. Well, I finally watched them and, and I am sitting up there one day and I saw this pickup, I'd already been by them and there wasn't anything in it. And uh, But I saw this pickup go by there and he putting out maize. And uh I sat there. I was probably a mile from it, and then I I drove down there, and he already had some blue quail in the trap. And I drove up the house. I just left him in there, and I drove up the house. And when I came to the door, his wife said, "Oh, I knew you was gonna show up." <laughs> anyway, she called him, and, and he came out there, and I he said, uh, "I said you got birds in the trap." "No, I don't." I said, "Yeah, you do. Let's go." So I got him in the car and went down there, and and sure enough, he had birds in the trap, and then I filed on him. You didn't put them there did you? Huh? You didn't put them there did you? No I didn't I didn't sure did (laughs) they got in there by themselves anyway that's when he told me he he's getting it for his mother and uh, so I took his trap and and then about oh maybe a year later he called me and asked me to have that trap back I gave it back to him Uh,
2: Jack were there a lot of blue quail in these counties when you started?
3: there was quite a few blue quail that was in 62 and and every place was uh that was grown you know grazed out uh my brother-in-law and i bought a place down in north of uh kirkland and we had blues and bob both on it and uh we grew down and we had a mess of, uh, of both of them you know i mean mixed mixed bag but uh after the the uh, pasture and stuff got thick and then uh, and it got to where they could and we didn't overgraze, and and uh protected it uh, it got to where they just they just kind disappeared
1: I'd be interested in following up with y'all on that a little bit uh, and again uh, for Jack's sake Jack I was raised right across the river from me over in Harmon County Oklahoma you probably knew my old game warden during those days Jim by Wilhelm man Jim him. W- well,
3: w- a good buddies yes sir
1: yes sir and uh and so i did my master's work on bob watson blue quail over south of hollis between there and red river and it seemed like they dis and they were very common back in the 70s uh early 80s but they seemed to just disappear about 1988 and i was just wondering if y'all had any correction factors on my timing there gary maybe what you were saying during the mm-hmm. middle, late 80s over
3: I don't know, you know, they just, it they, they, they was, wasn't that noticeable, first thing you know, you just weren't seeing any blues, you know, and of course, like at the pastures, uh, the rain and the pastures got good, and the, and, and, uh, and the CRP, raised CRP, and CRP wasn't good for them either, so, but uh, they just disappeared, The people tried trying to get them back, some of these ranches that were grazed pretty good and kind of open, didn't have a lot of brush on it, now they still had a few in, up
4: in the 80s, but, uh, they disappeared on us sometime really. You know, I don't I don't really know what the time frame was, but there wasn't any here when I moved here in ninety yeah. four. Uh, yeah. I think I saw uh one covey of blues since I've been in this country and it was over on that Simpson ranch. Yeah. Up yeah. by Molly's house. Yeah. That's that's all the but I I even noticed that over in the, uh when I went to work in eighty four. Uh on my two counties on the new mexico state line that highway 214 kind of split them right down the middle and when i went to work on the east side of, of 214 it was nearly all bob whites and and on the west side it was nearly all blues and i don't know why they divided like that but they did and then that was about the time the crp really took off and uh, by the time i left there 10 years later i couldn't hardly find a blue
1: well, I would uh, ask our listeners if you have a history in that rolling plains, uh, eastern rolling plains, say from Abilene up to Canadian, somewhere along in there, and you had a history of blues. I'm I'm always curious, again, about trying to document the timeline. But for my stomp stomping grounds over south of Hollis, uh, it seemed to be between Thanksgiving and Christmas, 1988, when they were there Thanksgiving and they were gone Christmas kind of
4: thing. Yeah, but.
2: Well, uh, tell us uh, one of the wildest things you ever saw on the job. <laughs> yeah. uh, not x-rated.
4: That, 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 that pulls it down a little bit. Uh, most of the wildest things I saw are not really fit for human consumption, but uh, one of the more unusual for me, I don't know, it may be common. Did you ever see a White blue hybrid
2: um one time I, one time yeah mm-hmm,
4: down there at paducah I, so. I had one i had one spotted over there uh in cochrane county I, I i don't know where the rest of the covey was at there were just there was just one single bird in my at that time my neighbor did uh uh some pretty good taxidermy work on quail he'd sit there and with a straight pin and pick those feathers for hours to make them come out right and uh I really wanted that bird. It was the Friday before quail season opened and my conscience just wouldn't let me do it. (laughs) I kept thinking, well, I'll I'll come, I've got plenty of time. I'll come back and I'll I'll try to get that bird. Bobby Goff had a a, a fish aquarium. He had a a Bob white mounted on one end and a, a blue on the other end and a hybrid right in the middle. And I thought that was one of the coolest things I ever saw. I never saw that bird again. So, but I got a clear conscience. Uh, Oh, oh boy! uh uh, West Ten had
3: one. Glenn Sanders, he had one that he. uh, But the one of the, I don't. I can't. I I was trying to think of one. Some of the most unusual things. But the one of the things that really kind of gripped me was that uh, I went on vacation one time in uh, during the turkey season. For some reason or other. And it's my fault. I asked Weldon if he had seen Gary himself down here to work, you know, while I was gone. Well, he fooled around and made turkey case, made me look like a goofball. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he he, he 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 did good. And I, I want Gary to come when I fixed him retire. So uh, I don't know whether it's my fault or what, but anyway, I'm glad he got here and uh, that, i can't think of it there's so many things that uh, that you get to think about that weren't unusual to a game warden but they probably be unusual to other people that happened that uh, uh in my old mind is not bringing it up where it's supposed to be now but anyway uh, we were glad that gary came and and uh, we enjoyed his family and and, uh, and he's done a good job since, since i left i wouldn't want anybody else to do it but him
2: uh, speaking of family, uh, Gary, uh, you have a son that's a state game warden, and um, both Jared and Jim, your sons, went to um, Bob White or Buckingham, the game?
4: Yeah, uh, The son, he's uh, the manager of the tractor supply at Jacksboro. And uh, Jared got on with the department in 2005, I guess, as a, as a game warden and spent eight years over in uh, Reeves County out far west Texas he he moved up to Shamrock in 2013 i guess but they both went to uh the Bob white Brigade i guess they're probably their sophomore years uh and then went back uh as as counselor both of them did the next year so and 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 they still talk about that one of the in fact Jared told me here a while back uh I don't he he ran into you somewhere Dr. Rollins I don't I don't know where y'all were at or how long ago this had been, but it it's been since he moved up here. So it's it had been at least fifteen years since he had been in the Bob White Brigade, and uh, he commented on how he walked up to you and began to speak, and you called him by name fifteen years later, which pretty <laughs> it pretty much amazes me and him both. You know, you you had teachers in school that they for years they remembered their worst students and they remembered the best students now, I don't know where he fit in there and maybe it's just your good memory I don't know anyway, uh, anybody, that was, that anybody, anybody knows me knows that it's not
1: my best memory I mean it's not my memory that whatever but whatever I, I typically nickname all those cadets and I'll tell them I say now when I see you 20 years from now I may not remember your real name but i'll probably remember your nickname and and one of y'all's colleagues i can tell a quick story at uh, george posley down there in fisher county he's probably been down there 10 years or so by now but uh jerry hearn was the warden before that and i was having lunch there at the little uh convenience store there and i saw a new game warden pick up pull out up about that roby and i walked over and got talking with this young man strap big strapping young guy six two six three and and I started talking to him, and I looked down there at his badge, and it said, Posley. And I looked at him, and I said, George, did you ever go to a camp called Bob White Brigade? He said, I sure did, and it was sure hot. And I said, yeah. I said, you were in the camp in 1994, the 2nd Battalion, and it was hot. We had a high 2000 of uh, 114 degrees that week. But I said, I always assign him what I call a silver bullet, an inspirational quotation. I said, George, do you remember your silver bullet? Uh, he said, I said I don't remember that and I said well I do I said it was uh, by Vince Lombardi and it was play every play as if it was gonna be the game breaker he said how did you remember that and I said I just remember that day that somebody called on you to say that and you were about half asleep and you stood up and said uh, play every play and I, I kind of forgot the rest of it and, he, and I said well who's that by and, and he said uh, some Lombardi and we had a guy that was a former national football league player and he jumped up and got over in George's face and said what do you mean some lombardi so yeah a lot of great memories and i remember jared and jim going through there and and uh, glad to have them as alumni
2: um jared he didn't make it the first time he applied to the academy no. did he so that you no, got he, a he couple of them.
4: living up to the family tradition then yes <laughs> <laughs> i'm
3: gonna tell this little deal. we i retired and uh i kept thinking we thought gary was coming to children's well things changed and there was another guy coming to children's and i was helping my daughter and her husband work on the house the phone rang and they said said jack somebody wants you on the phone and i went in on the phone and i said hello and he said uh it, it was Jim or Jared one. I can't remember which one, Jim probably. But anyway, he said, "Papa, find us a place to live. We're coming to Childress.
2: <laughs> well, uh, that's how I met Jack. When I started with Texas parks and wildlife, when I got done with my year at Amarillo, I called Jack. I said, Jack, I need to find a place to live in Childress. And he helped me too. <laughs> so, Anyway, um, I, I have to tell this story on Gary. Um, Boy, I, I'm I was amazed at how a game warden can find someone when they want them. But um, I was working at a deer processor, and a um, fella pulled in. I was checking deer and collecting age and antler data, pulling CWD samples, and a fella pulled in and let I went over there and visited with him and said, "May I look at your deer?" And he said, "Yeah." And he put the tailgate down and he had a mule deer doe in there and uh i didn't say a word And uh, we at the time there was no open season on mule deer does and it was by permit only and we weren't issuing any permits so i knew he had a illegal deer there and uh, i just worked it up like any deer and uh, there was some other hunters standing around there watching me and uh, and uh, they didn't say anything either and they were watching me to see what i was going to do and that they took that deer in the processor and that fella drove off and I stuck my head in that processor. I said, don't do anything with that deer. And I walked outside and called Gary and um, those uh, hunters that were standing around watching all this. They said, dang, we just knew you didn't know what a mule deer was (laughs) because I didn't say anything to them. And uh, I said, well, I can't do anything to them. And uh, a little while Gary showed up, loaded that dough up and, uh, and I had that fella's name and, uh, he said, well, I know where they're camping at. And he went and found them. And I thought, dang, how do you know where they were at? <laughs> so anyway, but, uh, so, uh, we, I, I had a real good relationship with both Jack and Gary and we helped each other out a lot. They helped me meet a lot of people in the counties when I started here. And, uh, and uh, I helped them with a few cases, too. So, anyway, but um, we had a lot of fun. Um, y'all got any other funny stories or memorable moments you want to share with us today?
4: I, yeah, I've got one. Uh, I, keep going, I keep going back to my first duty station, but, uh, uh, of course, that was the first place I ever started dealing with quail hunters but i was down uh, in yokum county down in the oil fields down there checking uh checking quail hunters or trying to find a quail hunter to check and i stumbled up on an old boy that he was hunting by himself he didn't have didn't have dogs with him or anything he's just driving those lease roads and uh, uh stopped him and asked him if if he's doing any good and he said yeah he said i I hadn't quite got my limit yet, but I'm I'm doing pretty good. So uh, we visited a minute and and uh, I checked his license and I said, Well let me count your birds for you and he uh, he let the tailgate down on his pickup and dumped his bag out. Well there was eight or nine of those yellow breasted field larks <laughs> in that bag. And you know, the old boy was so proud of himself. I didn't have the heart to tell him and uh, so I just, I just sent him home. I, I always wondered what those things tasted like. But, and, and I don't know. They might be pretty good. I never tried one. I'm pretty sure I never wrote anybody a ticket for shooting a buzzer. Did you?
3: Yes. Yes, I did. I'm a- <laughs> One Sunday, uh, I was at the house eating dinner, and uh, and people out here at the Cruz Ranch called me and said that there were road hunters out there. And so uh, my son-in-law, uh, he jumped in the car with me and went out there, and we called them road hunters out of the back of pickup on public road. We drove down to camp and uh, I looked there and there was a, a buzzard over, hanging over the, the gate going into the house. And uh, I went in the house and nobody knew anything about the buzzard. They didn't No, we don't know anything about the buzzard. Well, it was, I said, okay, so I was sitting out there and I was writing tickets on the, on the hood of the car for road hunting. And i heard a shot i looked down towards the barn that old buzzard just he was falling I, just whip 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 hip. i told my son-in-law i said well i've never filed on anybody shooting a buzzer but i'm fixing to <laughs> i didn't put the buzzard on the ticket though i put a protected bird
1: <laughs> I, i've got a question to ask you guys uh, I, I drive Hay- highway 83 there up to oklahoma all my life kind of thing and I guess I directed it, Gary, because it seems like it's been a phenomena over the last 20 years or so. But uh, during deer season, right there on the north side of the River Bridge, that's still in Texas, but right there on the north side of the River Bridge, you see anywhere from 5 to 15 or 20 vehicles, all of them have unloaded a four-wheeler. i just always curious, Gary, is that legal, what they're doing, driving up and down the riverbed, or, or what's the uh, what's the situation on that?
4: well apparently it is they've been doing it for years and and i jack wasn't able to and i wasn't able to find out anything to keep them from it um it's it's as long as uh as long as they stayed in the riverbed itself that was that was stayed on land and and they could they could hunt on it that the the problem uh, through hall and childress county we both of us had about 60 miles of that riverbed, and every foot of it was a bane to my existence. But uh, you know, you'd 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 run up on one of them occasionally where you could tell that deer actually fell in the riverbed. But too many of them would get up off the cut bank, or in a lot of cases, even even cross a fence to get to a deer. And uh, in the last two or three years, they've uh, in Hall County, they've they come up with a regulation where uh, they can't keep them out of the riverbed but they can't hunt with a firearm in the riverbed in Hall County but um, it's it's not that way in Childress County so well that was a big complaint
3: when I was here uh, when I was working there's people hunting the river and and they can hunt and cut banks, to cut banks, but from cut bank to cut bank there usually wasn't any deer unless they were crossing and uh, people from Hall County up on uh, little red all the way back down to uh, Oklahoma line where it was a problem and I didn't have any way to get it at that time we had one four-wheeler and you had to ask for it to get to go down the river so uh, uh didn't, I didn't I just sit on the bank and catch them their way to the bridge when they come out and uh, check them yeah um yeah
2: when I would uh, fly some deer surveys over that river, you'd see a deer feeder in the middle of that river bed. And um, if you're not familiar with what the river looks like um, in Childress and Hall County, the Red River, it's in parts of it's a mile wide and about an inch deep of water. (laughs) So, or no water in a lot of it. So um, anyway, so definitely a lot of traffic going up and down it, uh, pretty easy. Um, Do y'all see many quail hunters in
4: there <laughs> i i don't remember it well it's like Jack said i mean it's just sand yeah it, and unless the cubby was crossing it that's in, in, in hall county there was an island called Goat island
3: and, and they hunted that goat you i don't know you remember Goat island anyway you you probably heard them talk about it yeah, uh, and anyway they'd hunt that goat island and and, and a lot of the quail hunters here would, would hunt the edge of the river but they'd hunt on property that they they knew, but uh, down in the middle of the river, there wasn't, there wasn't much
1: going on. As somebody that hunted the north side of the river there where the Oklahoma line starts, I was never impressed in that, down in that salt cedar country, that, that very lowest part. Uh, I don't really recall ever finding hardly any quail. We We would always stay generally one bank up above that before we begin to find quail for whatever reason.
2: What do you, what do you think the future looks like for quail?
4: no I'll, I'll leave that to somebody else to predict but i i you know I've, I've i've seen some really good years here and then i've seen some really bad years i, I don't know of any other species that seems to fluctuate as bad as quail does and uh, of course it's just so dependent on on the uh, rainfall weather and, and uh, nesting cover and uh, it's it, it would just be hard for i think for anybody to predict you know from year to year what the what the bird crop is going to be but you know I, I i would really like to see them come back like they were in uh, the seemed like 15 and 16 was yeah. a pretty good year uh-huh. I, I retired in 2016 but um and and we had you know there was 2008 or 9 was a pretty good year but uh, i just Boy, I'd love to see it come back like it like it was on those good years. From the time I got
3: here in '62 till uh, I retired in '93, there were still uh, quite a few birds. I mean, it, it'd be kind of seasonal, but it depended on the weather then. But they were the farming practices, and uh, I don't know. Maybe it, I'm, I'm not going to say what all the combination I think it is, but. There was a lot of combinations that, that brought the quail down, and and whether they'll come back or not, I don't know. I don't. But there, uh, it's that time. There, you could you can go out. I, I had bird dogs, and and when of days off or after I got in the house, I could run out here and find a couple of quail, and, and I might not kill any quail, but I'd work my bird dogs on them. And uh, and uh, anytime you wanted to go, you could you could find a bird. But I'd be it'd be hard pressed now. I've got cow in the country and that's been i bet it's been six or seven months since I've seen a quail maybe longer.
2: Okay
3: any advice for anyone who wants to be a game warden? Well do it if you want to it's a, it's a great job and I, I don't know how it is it's, things have changed and uh, uh, it's there's a lot of politics and a lot of paperwork now a lot more than what was in. The only thing I hated about it when I was working is the reports at the end of the month. And my wife did too. She, well, she typed me up and she tried to figure out what I said. But anyway, it it was a great job. I really enjoyed it. I love the people that we were connected with. Still do, there's a lot of people that I still see that I can't, uh, I, I know their face, but I can't think of their name. And they'll come up and they'll give me a hug or shake my hand. and and it, it was a, a really a good job and I loved it and, and and we were glad to have Gary and his family here they they were a, a, a baboons I mean a, a asset to children's county when they come here too I mean of course I'm
4: sorry
2: what's your advice Gary
4: <laughs> well I'm I'm kind of the same way Jack was if it, you know if it fits uh, it it's it's worth every bit of the effort to get the the college requirement forward and uh I, I can't think of of any any way i would have rather spent the 32 years that i, I spent working for the department yeah. uh, but like i say it's got a it's got a fit it doesn't fit everybody but uh, it's it's been a good job i still miss it i miss it you know i miss
3: getting out and going and and uh, the little boy i worked with over two-year-old julius stevens we worked years and years together never had a cross word and 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 he was a a good guy and and uh he he couldn't hear his thunder but he could find out he could find a feather or a spot of blood and we worked good together for years had a good time together
1: well i want to reminisce i want to reminisce back to again the game warden my youth uh jim bob wilhelm uh, jack you you said y'all y'all know each other and i'm sure you did and uh, yeah. as, y'all were, as y'all were talking about some of the common violations, like, you know, riding around road hunting or whatever, mea culpa, I've been guilty of those the statute of limitations. I hope it passed, but,
3: uh, yes. he, he, and, he and the warden from Elk city called me one day, they had a Minna hustler that was, uh, saying in minnows, it wasn't against the law to sell them in, the, I mean, uh, to uh, uh, Thane them in uh, Oklahoma, but it's against the law to sell them out of Oklahoma. And this guy was coming to the city park here in Childress and uh, uh, selling them, and they called and wanted me to set up. So me and another game warden, we set up on them. And here, sure enough, here they come, and they exchanged the the, the and uh, we went back across the line there from Wellington across to Mangum, and uh, I kept hollering for old uh, 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 Jim Bob, and uh, said, so I can't think of the old oh, uh, can't think of the guy's name from Elk City. Anyway, this other warden and I, we end up going the other side of Mangum, and I told him, I said, you know what, we better turn around and get back. We ain't got any authority over here, and we can't find uh, uh, old Jim Jim Bob and him. Well, we come back, and I'd seen a car parked up on a hill there on that little farm market road. Sure enough, they were sitting up there, and I'm not going to say what they was doing, but they were, (laughs) they weren't looking for a the men hustler anyway <laughs> <laughs> it was they, jim ball was a good guy i really liked him and enjoyed visiting he and i worked together quite a bit uh, even after he got to be sheriff i went to his, to his funeral when he passed away but he was a good guy
1: yeah well, like i said he was a for the country boy raised there he was a pretty forgiving guy and uh, of course we appreciated that uh, for, for the uh, grace that he sometimes showed us
3: yeah, I'd I'd go over Hollis looking for him sometime and they'd tell me, he said, well, yeah, he's out so-and-so's place out there. So I think he's a baling hay. Sure enough, I'd go out <laughs> there He'd be the and get out there baling hay, but he, he, was, he was working it out anyway.
1: I, I have another question um, towards Jack. Uh, we, we had a guy for a Canadian named A.S. Jackson that we speak very highly of in the quail world. Did you ever know him or run across him? yes i did
3: as jackson was a good old man he uh I'd, I'd, they'd send me up during deer season and i'd stay out there at the gene Howe management area it had a camp house out there and, and a lot of times he'd come out there and spend the night but most time he just spent he camped out he was a oas was a he was a little guy and a, and he was uh confident in what he was doing and, and he, he thought he had it figured out and uh but uh, I enjoyed A.S. Jackson very much. Another guy you. was uh, was uh, I think uh, uh, Dick Diarmen was at Wheeler. Whenever uh, right. Danny took over, but he was a, he was a you know I never had any problems with any of them. We had we worked together. Old Dick come by my house and visit, and, and Dana. I had only problem I had with her was nothing. I didn't have any problem. That's a problem. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I was going to say, if y'all got any dirt on Dana, you might share that with me in, uh, in case I ever need it.
2: Well, uh, Jack, he was always trying to get me in trouble. <laughs> so, and uh, he loved to give me these Fireball hard candies. In the. He, he'd get me in the vehicle with him, hand me a hot candy, and then sit and watch my face to see what happened. <laughs> and then we'd get out on a big old ranch somewhere, and he'd uh, stop and say, you want some lunch? And he'd pull out an MRE. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> hey guys,
1: let, let's talk about something. I guess it was probably in both of y'all's careers, but you know, I think it was in either 1976 or 1978 that it went from where the county commissioner's court set the bag limit for quail to where the state, now y'all have a name for that. I can't remember what that resolution or whatever it was but can you fill us in on what the bag limits in certain years like maybe i don't know again i forget when that happened i want to say 78 but tell us what the bag limits were back then and kind of a little bit of the politics around uh, that um unified uh regulation kind of thing
0: yes it was uh it,
3: i think it was 12 bag limit and uh 36 in possession something like that but anyway uh the people the landowners and uh, and, and and most of the people around here they, they didn't like the long season and uh, they called me and, and I uh, they, they had me go to the commissioner's court and we got a petition signed that we want to keep the the, the season from December the first to January 31st and uh, you know it, it, it didn't work out right but that's that was uh, one of the problems for people didn't people thought they uh, they hunted enough, you know, from those those two months. They just thought there was enough hunting there, and and I don't know whether it was or not. But uh, uh, you know, they say a certain amount of them's going to die anyway. And I, I say, well, the ones that are still alive in in February, if they don't shoot them, they still might make it. But anyway, that's that was the uh, the big big question. Then they they didn't like the long season and but but they didn't have the out-of-state hunters like they do now and they didn't charge for them and you know they had a shooting reserve license uh, and a shooting reserve book and, and if you you hunted deer or, or quail or turkeys but well, then you had to sign in on that shooting reserve in it it worked pretty good for a, for a while but it was a kind of a headache to keep up with it but uh, uh that's that's one of the main problems that they they didn't like the long seasons
2: so, so there wasn't a hunting license
3: back then that you purchased. Uh, yes, yes, oh, there was. Yeah, yes. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah. Barry, what they had a, had a shooting reserve license, oh, and and okay. the these landowners would buy the shooting reserve license, and they had a, a, a record book, and the hunter had to sign in, and and when he came in, and then whenever he left, he had to sign out, and if he if he killed something, he had to put it down and say what it was,
4: you know. But but you used to be able to hunt inside your county of residence. Without a license, as, oh, yeah, as, yeah. as long as it wasn't a tag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah,
3: yeah. I didn't have to hunt tur- uh, deer towards.
4: Yeah, yeah. You could hunt it oil did. without a license. Uh, and and the, in, in your home, and county. a and the fishing license.
3: Every year they'd change colors, and, and I'd get on the lake, and and you could go down the bank or down the dam wherever it was, and these the fishing license, and it may not be their fishing license, but they'd hold up that color, and and they'd have one, you know so that was that made it kind of easy not to bother getting in now you have to go up and check everything you know yeah. but uh that was a i don't know whether that's good or bad but i I did a lot of checking from the boat just going down the bank uh looking at the color of the license you know
1: well if i could tell a story about the regular like quail hunting regulations over across the state line red river from y'all uh, there in oklahoma when i was I first started quail hunting, I guess, in about 65 or 66. And back then, uh, legal—that it wasn't every day of the week. It was Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays and legal holidays. Yeah. And then yeah. because all the barbers had bird dogs and the barbers had Monday off, well, they had the political walk with all to get it changed to Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays saturdays and legal holidays and then i don't know in the late 70s early 80s it became mondays tuesdays thursdays saturdays legal holidays and the day before a legal holiday and then finally somewhere i don't know 80 or so they just threw up their hands and said okay it's every day of the week now
3: yeah days in between, let's go to i would go to the oklahoma line <laughs> i was uh, i'll tell you this is a story i was out one sunday one saturday it rained and I was out on Buck Creek and I was headed over towards Oklahoma line and I I was going down the road and I saw these fresh 20 gauge shells hang in the road. And I got out and looked at them and they, well, they were fresh. I smelled of them. They were fresh. And I got looking at the tracks and I could tell the tracks were going in opposite way I was going. So I turned around and I started following the tracks and I finally caught them up here, up there is on the South side of, of uh, Buck Creek and his two boys and, uh, I stopped them, they, I saw them hunting off the road, and I uh, stopped them and I checked their license. They, had, they didn't have a, uh, Oklahoma, I mean, a Texas license, but it's illegal anyway. And, and I, I told them, I said, well, boys, I'll tell you what we're gonna have to do. I'm gonna have to write you a, a ticket, but I'm gonna have to take you in the judge. And I said, we can't we can't, we can't let you go back home. He said, oh man, they, one of them said, no, don't do that. I getting am to get married today. We're just out <laughs> roaming around. I said, okay. <laughs> So I, I said, "What if I take your shotguns and you know, and take them?" He said, "You take them, and we'll show up." And they did. They they were ready to get back to that wedding.
2: Yeah, hunting nearly came more important than getting married, didn't it?
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm always telling people that in 1974 I had to get married, and of course, in today's generation, it wouldn't mean anything. But back in the early '70s, if you said you had to get married, you pretty sure there was a shotgun involved and i tell people in my case there was because my future father-in-law had the best quail hunting in Harmon county and i had to marry into that so uh, and that was just a mile inside the state line there so. well we're just about out of
2: time aren't we dale
1: yeah uh, again we uh, really appreciate you guys uh, sharing your memories with us and boy uh, certainly things have changed a lot over the last uh, 15 to 40 years up in that part of the world i drive down highway 83 now and i, I see what i call those children's county hunting lodges you know you'll see six travel trailers surrounding a power pole along the highway kind of thing but uh, obviously deer of uh, deer are doing very well and feral hogs are doing really well but the quail numbers uh, have taken it on the chin quite a bit and we're all pulling for them all hoping to get out of this La Nina weather pattern which uh the climatologists say we are getting out of but for those of us from Childress down to San Angelo you'd be hard-pressed to prove it right now but we uh, we know we will get rain at some point in time and looking forward to better days on the quail front and uh encourage everybody to stay legal so uh, when you meet these guys you're in a good mood when you leave and Dan I appreciate you taking the the command up there at Childress today I want to tell our listeners, again, uh, coming up, we'll have uh, the various brigades camp starting up in June. It's too late to apply for those, but if you need a testimonial, well, I think Jim and his wife would, I um, mean, Gary and his wife and Jared would, uh, would be good ones to talk to up in that part of the world, and they'll tell you about what those youngsters learned from them, or if you see George Posley down there at Roby. But again, Gary, I'm going to turn it back to you in the studio today, and thanks again for your staff there, and we'll look forward to visiting with you all next month.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Dale, and thank you, Dana, Gary, and Jack, for the wonderful stories and memories. We indeed learned that every day was a new adventure as a Texas game warden. Thank you for your decades of service. We hope you've enjoyed this month's podcast and conversation. For more information about the Dr. Dale on Quail podcast and past episodes, go to the website of the Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation at quailresearch.org. I'm Gary Joyner of the Texas Farm Bureau. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time. Support from Gordian Sons Outfitters makes Dr. Dale on Quail possible. Gordian Sons, the finest hunting and fly fishing shop to be found. Find out more at GordianSons.com.